have to force ourselves a lot um, and we have to say these things are important but these things are the like feeding of your soul important you know like we have to draw a distinction and um, if we don't you know then we risk getting so caught up and then we forget how we got there and we miss so much you know well that was Caitlin Curtis one of my favorite new authors and definitely definitely one of my favorite podcast guests I had her on a couple months ago, and her book, Glory Happening, Finding the Divine in Everyday Places, is now out. And folks, you need to get this book. I know I talk about a lot of books, but this should go on the top of the list, to the top of the list. Uh, This book will feed your soul, honestly. And I know that's a big promise, but it delivers. So uh, in this conversation, Caitlin and I talked uh, a little bit more about her book. And we also talked quite a bit about uh, her Native American uh, heritage and her culture and some of the dreams and hopes that she has for the church and for humanity. And um, as it was the first time I talked to her, this time it was just so delightful and beautiful so enjoy this conversation with caitlin curtis and then race out and buy her book well i am back here with one of my favorite new friends caitlin curtis hi caitlin hi well i when was it that that we talked for the first time was it like six months ago two months ago i i actually don't remember and i didn't check I don't know either. I know you were my first podcast and it was so great that it was you because you were, you helped me ease into this world. So, (laughs) but yeah, it was a few months ago. I mean, it's been a little while. Well, I fell in love with you and your writing right away. So it was like, it was so fun and I cannot wait. Uh, your book is out glory happening. Uh, and I told you this via email, you know, but when my copy came in the mail a week ago or so, uh, Mary, who listened to the podcast with you, like took it from me. <laughs> she stole it <laughs> and she held it to her heart and said, oh, and like, so I'm not going to see that bad boy for months. Um, she loved it. And if you knew Mary, you would know what a high, high compliment that is. But it's well earned. It's well deserved because it's such a gorgeous book. And um, I can't wait to talk a little bit more about it, um, to have you read some excerpts of it. Um, so let me just ask you the obvious question. You're about to release a book. How do you feel? Um, I feel really overwhelmed in a great way. So it's, it's so much emotion, you know, it's weird. What I realized when I started seeing pictures of people receiving their books, <laughs> it was like, I felt like pieces of me were just starting to float out into the world. And so I was like, there's a piece of me in that person's living room. And there's a piece of me in that person's living room. And it's sitting on their, you know, bedside table. It's a piece of me. And, and it was just like really weird. It was very, I've had so many like out of body experiences lately where it's like, I'm just floating over, like seeing all this crazy stuff happen and it's really amazing, but it's very strange, you know? Yeah. I, yes, I, I know how that, that's interesting. I've, I've never thought about it. Like there's a piece of me out there. There's, I mean, but that is really kind of how it feels. It feels that vulnerable, um, and that exciting, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. Yeah. 
but on the eve of having it just get out there, it's like, um, it is scary. So remind me again, <laughs> remind us again, you know, uh, if people haven't listened to the other podcast that we did, what is this book and why did you write it? Yeah. So it's called, um, glory happening, finding the divine in everyday places. And it's basically a book of, um, stories and you can call them essays or short stories. Some people call it a memoir. Um, it's 50 stories from my life. Um, some of them are more present stories. Some of them are from my past. Um, and then each story is paired with a prayer that I wrote. And I wanted the prayers to be sort of just poems like poetry, but also a way to reflect on the story. And so it's different aspects of the word glory. It's, you know, hopefully aspects that we have forgotten or that we haven't noticed before. You know, it's not this, um, the glory of God as this really far away thing, but something that's very um, visceral and tangible to where we're at right now or where we have been in our life. And yeah, so it was stories throughout my life that have reminded me of that. And my hope is just that people read it. And even if they haven't had the exact same experience as me, that they can read that story and and it connects them to their own experience and it brings them to their own stories and reminds them or helps them to see that God is, you know, truly in our midst. And so that's kind of my hope for the book. Yeah. Well, it's a good hope. And I think it's, it sounds weird to say, but a realistic hope. Um, I told you that I started reading your book when it was still just very manuscript form. I think I was, it was a PDF on my laptop, uh, <laughs> but I was reading it in my backyard which is, I think, where people should read your book. Like people, yes. I mean, read it everywhere, but take this book with you in the outdoors yes. and read it in a tent, read it on a walk, read it on a hike, read it on the top of a mountain, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how yeah, I feel about hope. it. Yes. Yeah, when I see people take pictures of it by a tree or something, I'm like, that is this book and it's like natural element. It should just be <laughs> sitting outside somewhere. Yeah. Like that's what I want for it. <clears throat> and this is Native American Heritage Month. Uh, you're part of the Potawatomi tribe. Am I saying that right, Caitlin? Please yeah, tell me I Potawatomi. am. Potawatomi. Potawatomi. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Talk about uh, your own spirituality as it relates to how that helped shape this book. Because I, I feel it in more than read it, you know? Uh, yeah. And when I talk to you, I feel that sense of groundedness and slowness and, um, I mean, in a good way, but could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. It's really funny because when, um, as, as the book started, started, um, is finishing up with my publisher and, you know, obviously on Twitter, I share about being Native American. That's kind of the direction of where my voice is headed is kind of talking about, um, bridging the gap between the church and indigenous people. And, um, in it, hit me one at one point that I was like, what if people are expecting more of this, like, here is my journey as a Native American. And that's, that's actually what my second book is going to be about. But this first one, I'm so glad you said that is just, you feel it instead of me saying to you, I'm Potawatomi and this is what I think. And, and that makes me really happy because, you know, I, I don't want to, we shouldn't always have to say it, you know, it should also be just in us and a part of us. And, and yeah, so these stories were happening as I was sort of um, coming alive to 
my culture um, and, you know, beginning to learn my language and beginning to learn my tribe's stories. And so it was just this really perfect timing um, of like coming alive to this, this stream of um, Christianity and the contemplative and kind of the mystic thought. And at the same time, coming alive to my native spirituality and those things go together so beautifully. Um, and so it was really enjoyable. Like I just, I so enjoyed writing this book. It was, um, it was such a great first book for me because it just, um, needed to come out anyway, you know? And so I'm so glad that that's how it ended up as just as these reflections. So And I'm glad you brought that up, Caitlin, that I think so many times authors talk about their books being like, um, and, you know, I'm a male, so forgive this metaphor, but it's overused, like giving birth, you know, or like, it's just, oh my gosh, it killed me, you know, and I, I had to drink my way through the first three chapters and then, you know, enter into AA, um, like it killed me, I was barely, um, and that is some uh, that is some people's experience for sure. Right. But I almost feel like as authors, we sort of feel like we have to be tortured in order for, you know, because if we aren't, then maybe our <laughs> work wrong. is, yeah, like it'll be yeah. really shitty work or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's really good to hear you say that you enjoyed the writing of it. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I originally, I didn't know it was going to be a book. Like it was just, um, you know, I've had a blog for what, five or six years now. And so my blog is called stories. So those easily, each of these stories in the book could easily have been a blog post basically, you know, and, but I just felt like, um, they needed to be a different kind of collection. And so it wasn't until I was like 30 stories in that I was like, Oh, maybe this could be a book, but I didn't, I didn't have a theme for it. I didn't have um, anything to connect it. Like it was just a bunch of stories. And I was like, this doesn't make, this don't make sense to anybody to just drop you into random stories, you know? And so, um, so when I realized that glory could be a theme that runs through them, that helped me think, well, maybe it could be a book. And, and then it just kind of built from there. But, you know, I process through writing. I don't, I'm not a verbal processor. Um, I'm a, I'm in my head. Like we are saying, I'm an Enneagram four to the best of my knowledge. I think I'm a four. I think I've settled there. Um, but basically, you know, I process through emotions and they just kind of swirl around inside of me for a long time before I can get them out of my mouth, but I can get them out through my hands and through writing words. And for some reason that just works better for me. And so, um, so writing is like essential to my well being, at least in this stage of my life. And so, I just needed to write these down and then they became a book. So, yeah. And I always want to say this too, when we're talking to authors, because I know other potential authors and people that want to create things are listening. And so when you were writing this book, your, your mama to two boys, you were a worship leader at a church, Uh you know, your husband was going through doing his doctorate. And so life is busy. Oh yeah. Um, and so it wasn't like you just, oh yeah, every day at, you know, 9 a.m. I carved out you know, right. the next pure eight hours of silence. How did you carve out the time to do it? Um, my husband was everything for that. I mean, he, um, every Saturday morning I did go to a coffee shop for like three or four hours and I just prayed as I was driving like, Jesus, <laughs> I'm, I need to write 
three stories this morning, you know, just like, and a lot of times it really, it did come and it was really incredible. Um, but also most days it's like, I'm walking around the house chasing my boys or I, or we were in an apartment then. So I'm walking our Husky down the flight of stairs again for the third time to take him to the bathroom. And I think of something I need to write down and I run back upstairs and write it down before I forget because I'll forget it if I don't, you know, it, yeah. it was more of that. And I'm reading a, you know, I'm reading a Barbara Brown Taylor book on my balcony and I realize that I need to write something down. So I write it down before I forget. So it was like, and that's still is how I write. It's like in snippets all throughout the day. And, yeah. um, and if I don't write it down, I forget. And these ideas just go away. So, um, so even now, like I'm, I'm doing daily posts for Native American Heritage Month on my blog. And, and that's been, you know, I did more plan it out more where I have, cause it's every day, but it still is like these moments come to me and I have to write it down before they're gone. Yeah. And that's just how I am. But yeah, I think that's great. And I think you're totally right. We think we're going to remember that great idea because it's so huge. Of course, we're going to remember it. And then if we don't write it down, we don't. It's gone. It's mm. totally gone. Um, I had a sentence that floated around in my, uh, that just came to me and I wrote it down and then it didn't become anything for like six months, you know, but I'm yeah. so glad I wrote it down because it really did become something. Um, That's so all right. Would you read uh, an excerpt uh, yeah. from your book? Let me go grab a copy. Okay. This is a fun one. It was really, it was really cool. When I, when I got my first copies of the book, I sat down to read it. And some of these stories, I was like, I don't even remember writing this. Like, where was I? You know, some of the stories I vividly know where I wrote them and, and what words I wrote, but some of them, it was like, like, did I really write this? I don't, I don't know how that came out of me, you know? And I just think that sometimes when we write so much that something else has to be in us to get us to get it out of us than just our own, you know, yes. you can call it the Holy spirit. You can call it, you know, whatever the creative yep. energy, the, the universe the, pulling yep. it out of us. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this one is called goats and chickens and it's, um, this is the 28th story of the book. Um, and, and so at the beginning of every story, I do a quote um, so that people can read some of the books I've been reading. But this quote is from my son, Elliot, and he's five. And he said, is Shalom kind of like Jesus? So here's the story. Mulberry Community Garden has a small family of goats and chickens that rest and live under the shade of a big mulberry tree. We went there first with Terry, her son, Noah, and little newborn Finn, the other family we'd met in our city who was homeschooling their boys the way we were. They brought us to this little treasure they discovered a few months earlier, and when my boys first saw those goats and chickens, a new door opened in their hearts, and they were smitten. We promised each other we'd come back, that we'd care for these creatures, and honor their little home in the middle of our city, and we've been back numerous times since. One night, I took my boys there after dinner, after a full day of failed attempts to coax them out of wrestling with each other in our tiny apartment. We drove out to visit our creature friends, feeding them plants and fallen mulberries from their home tree. I'm not sure these animals realize what kind of magical home they inhabit next to numerous garden plots, but my two boys certainly recognize it. In all of the grandeur of this skyscraped city, they get to spend an hour with their new friends, an hour to care for something, to spend their energy staining their fingers black with mulberry juice, 
while I sit and watch in awe of the way the universe works. This for now is all the evidence I need that things were created to work in a certain way, a beautiful cycle of one creature caring for the next, that creature caring for their kin, and so on. When a grad school semester ends for my husband, we all feel it. The pull to get away, to spend an afternoon in the kayak on the lake, to roam and journey and experience more of the world outside us. Sometimes it's the moon's precious shape that reminds us. Sometimes it's a glimmer of stars or the bloom of a flower. We saw more goats at Bevan and Rowan's little commune on the other side of Atlanta. There were rabbits and sheep in a petting zoo, horses that looked you in the face and ate apples from your hand, a giant chessboard with plastic pieces that shone in the sun, another glimpse of kingdom. Even there, we saw the way things are wired to work as we fed apples to horses, their eyes twinkling at our boys to thank them for the morning visit. We seem to be wired for this, for the escape, for the getaway car that takes us outside of ourselves, outside of our comfort zones, outside of the closed-in spaces to visit chickens and goats, to remember another part of life, to recognize the full cycle and get the full picture. And when we return home to nap in our beds, to eat a hearty lunch, to watch a favorite cartoon, we remember that we call ourselves blessed, everything around us gift, the presence of God in our very midst, every little thing created for us to care for and have care for us. Come on! Oh, that's so good. Thank you. Oh, man. Um, chickens and goats. Goats and chickens. Um, so... One of the things that I experienced and I experience as I read your words is it helps me, I think, become alive to the ordinary things that are bursting all around me in ways that maybe I wouldn't be. Like mm -hmm. the, it, it, your, your words help me to slow down and open up my eyes. So my question is, um, in what ways have you, like how do you cultivate that because I know you do this. I mean, you do this really well. How do you cultivate that practice of slowing down and noticing and looking? Um, well, I mean, the best way to do it is to have little kids around you. So even if you're, you know, even if you're a school teacher or a, you know, some profession that allows you to be around kids, um, you know, we're so caught up in being adults, you know, um, I, wrote a piece recently that was, and I talked about adult proofing our spaces instead of child proofing them because we always want to like child proof things. And I was like, we need to, we need to think of this differently because we're really just, we're distracting ourselves from what's real sometimes, you know, I can be on Twitter and Facebook all day long and try to promote my stuff, but, and it's good. And it's, it's what I do for my, you know, career right now. But, um, but there comes a point where my soul is just like, okay, you need something real and tangible right now. And most of the time that's with my boys, you know, going outside in the yard. Um, we, we have these flowers uh, called celosias and they have been, or coxcomb is the other name. We had a bunch of them in our yard a few months ago and the bumblebees were just like, I've never seen so many in my life. They just loved these flowers and they slept on them at night. So when you went there, there are just a few and they would sleep on them just like hanging on, but they weren't moving. So they're just asleep. And in the mornings they'd wake up and start eating again. And, um, and the only way that I would have known that is, is really to force myself out, you know, to, 
it's nice because I have boys to help me do that. And I have a puppy now to help me do that. But, but we have to force ourselves a lot. Um, and we have to say these things are important, but these things are the like feeding of your soul important, you know, like we have to draw a distinction. And, um, if we don't, you know, then we risk getting so caught up and then we forget how we got there and we miss so much, you know? And so it's really hard because I I can totally get caught up in what I'm doing. And, and I, and then I have to sometimes shame myself or sometimes just say, okay, let's be healthy now and go do something else because we have to break away. So yeah. yeah, Beautiful. That's that's what I have to do. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, so I'm looking, uh, you know, as we're doing this Skype video, I'm looking at the big thing that's hanging on your wall behind you. Do more of what makes your soul happy. Yeah. So what makes your soul happy, Caitlin Curtis? Oh man. Um, right now we have a puppy and he makes my soul pretty happy. I'm holding his head in my hand right now because he's asleep. Um, fall is like brings my heart to life. So, I mean, I was born on the first day of fall. My birthday is the first day of fall. So it's quite naturally in my blood. But um, but I um, absolutely love the fall and the holiday season. And um, all of that just completely brings me to life. So I'm I'm so excited that the book is coming out at this time of year because it's just my favorite. And, um, and I think that, I don't know. I, um, I think a lot about being a four on the Enneagram and, um, we're prone to these emotional highs and lows, you know? but I've never been a person who gets really depressed. I mean, I get kind of melancholy or anxious, but I've never been like just super depressed before. And I think a lot about people who do struggle with that and like, what does it mean to be happy? What does it mean to be like rooted in happiness, you know? And I think that, that when we're overwhelmed and when we're tired and especially right now, because it's just all the time, if you read the news at all, you're on either side, wherever you stand, you're going to be tired. And, um, and I think there's something really important about, um, breaking away and going outside or, or looking at staring at an ant for a few minutes or like they're really, there's something about, um, looking at another creature or some other thing that is not yourself and letting it teach you something. And, and I think, I think that really does make us happier, um, as people. And I think pulling us out of ourselves, you know, um, so even fall or my puppy or these things that, that are hard. Some, you know, having a puppy is crazy and I've never had one and it's, it's so fun, but it's crazy. Um, but it's also just like so beautiful to have this thing to take care of, you know? And I think that when we have things to care for, um, children or a garden or the dishes in our sink that we have to wash. And we like see those things as holy things and things that can somehow teach us something about our souls or about life. I think it, it really does bring us joy and it brings us a rooted joy and it can pull us out of ourselves, which I think is important. 
Yeah. Uh, some of my friends and I talk about the importance of staring out the window. Mm. You know, maybe take it a step further and say, actually, get outside. <laughs> Stare at an ant is yeah. even better. But I think you're right in this day where it's so easy to stare at a screen, mm -hmm. you know, um, to have something that pulls us. I like how you said that, that pulls us out of ourselves, because certainly, you know, reflection and discovering who we are, that's so important. But I can really get overly <laughs> indulgent in my own journey. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't think that leads to happiness. I think that leads to preoccupation yeah. with what's going to go wrong and and um, or regretting what you've done or right. worrying about what's coming up, you know. So, yeah. OK, so my next question um, is, what are your hopes and dreams for the church these days? Mm. And by the church, I'm trying to define that in as large a space mm -hmm. as I can, right? So you get that. So what are your hopes for the church these days? Well, um, I was just thinking about this recently because, you know, we all kind of, most people surround themselves with people like them and people they agree with naturally. And so I think a lot about like, Sorry, I'm going to move my puppy over. Um, on Twitter and and stuff like that, you know, I see, like, these things that I agree with or that I think are good and people who are in the church that I think are doing the right thing. But it's just because they're in my circle and I agree with them. Um, and so, so I also know that there's this whole world of people that I don't agree with. And, um, and I just, one of my biggest hopes for humanity is that we continue and learn how to be better storytellers and listeners because I don't know, there's just something about, um, not talking and listening to another person without interrupting and without judgment and, um, understanding like, you know, you're here, you're how you are today because of something that happened then, or these are the things that make you who you are. And, whether I agree with you or not, you have a story. Everyone has an experience and everyone has a relationship to God or to, um, the way they were created or brought up or whatever, you know? And, um, I think that one of our biggest problems in the church is that we have forgotten how to, to listen without having an agenda or, or to listen without judging right away or to listen without expecting something. I think, and that's one of from my perspective as a, as a native American, um, that's one of the biggest problems I think that happened in the beginning and that still happens is that indigenous people have never been truly listened to, yeah. you know, if we could sit down and explain why our creation story is so beautiful to us and why actually, why that actually reminds me of Christ or, you know, if we could, if we could have done that in the beginning and if we could do that now, um, the unity that it would bring and, and, and the release it would give the church to not feel like we have to save everyone, yeah. but that people's lives are, are truly, you know, called and wanted by God. And this, those stories, even the hard and horrible ones are still valid and there's still experiences that are true, you know, for people. And I just, um, I love storytelling, obviously, 
but I really think it's important and I think it, it means a lot. I completely agree with you. And I think especially um, someone that uh, is indigenous, because it seems like, gosh, um, there is a silencing mm-hmm. um, of indigenous people that is really um, shocking, kind of. Like, where mm-hmm. are the voices and and mm-hmm. who is creating space for them and mm-hmm. i know you think a lot about that caitlin so where um where, what are your hopes and dreams even as we think about native american heritage month for indigenous peoples in the u.s and maybe even beyond yeah. but especially in the u.s well i see a lot i mean i'm still learning and networking and meeting all these other indigenous people that I'm like so proud of and love following. And so one of the things like on, on indigenous people's day, um, I shared this thread and it was just like, it was just resources. It was just, you can follow this person. If you want to listen to a native American rap artist, follow Frank Wallen, or if you want to hear, you know, a Native American poet, follow this woman. And, and people were like, thank you. That's all we wanted. You know, yeah, they just yeah. like, if you want jewelry so that you're not appropriating a culture and you want to actually order from an indigenous person or clothing or um, art, you know, all these things or books, um, I feel like people need to know that we're still here and that we actually are doing new things. Like we're, because I think that the narrative is somehow that we're still stuck in history. We're oh, still yeah. locked. with the Cowboys and Indians, or we're still locked in with the first Thanksgiving or wherever we were in history, wherever those stories were, like we're still stuck there. And I think, I think Standing Rock helped, but I think people need to realize that, that we are creating and we're creating out of our heritage and we're, we're wanting that to enter the world and to be seen as alive and thriving, you know? And so one of my hopes, even with the the posts I'm doing daily this month is I'm wanting to share some of those things, you know, and watch this video, this music video, or you can order these books for kids on Amazon or, you know, whatever it is like that. Um, we can take it in bites and pieces. It's not like you, you don't have to learn all the things right now. You know, I, I can't even do that. Um, and we shouldn't feel the pressure to do that, but we have to be willing to look and to understand that, we're all still here and our tribes are still here and we're still, we're still doing the things that, you know, we're, we're hurting and we're, um, there's still a lot because of colonialism. There's still so much, there's still so much poverty and miseducation. There's still abuse. There's still a lot that is broken, but we're still here, you know, and, uh, and especially my generation and some of this, you know, rising up that's happening in the protests. And, um, I don't know, there's just, there's a new spirit, I think that's coming alive and, and it should be celebrated, you know, especially in the church, it should be something that's celebrated. I agree. I loved how you said that we're still here and we're doing new things. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. cause that does expose, even as you said that I was like, oh my gosh, you're totally right. M- there's there's a sense of when we talk about Native Americans, we think 250 yeah. years ago, you know, yeah. we do. Um, versus, so I'm gonna 
I'm going to put the link on my show notes to some of um, those resources that you just talked about. So um, I will find them. I will post them. Y'all, all you listeners um, that are interested in taking another step. And I also loved what you said about, you know, you don't need to learn the encyclopedia of history about it. I mean, if you want to yeah. go ahead, but you can, you know, you can, you can take steps toward it. I yeah. love that. I love that. Uh, I'm wondering if you'll read one more excerpt. Um, if you sure. would, I just, okay. I, I, I want to hear one more. My day will not be complete until I do. Have I read the, um, I don't think last time I read any did I, there's, um, a story about a dream that I had about my grandma. I don't think I read that on the last, I'll just read it. It's my, one of my favorites. So 126. Um, and this also, this is a good one for, for this month. Um, cause it's, you know, there's this, um, idea that our ancestors speak to us in dreams. So when you have a dream, you know, they're always the like, I ate some bad tacos dreams, but this is like, there are dreams where, you know, they mean something too. So this is, this is one of those dreams I had. And, um, and it just, it was just some, one of those things where I felt my, my grandma with me, you know? Um, and it was important to me. So, so this story is called midnight memories and the little quote that goes with it is when the grandmothers speak, the world will begin to heal. And it's a Hopi proverb. One night this last summer, I had a vivid dream about my grandma Downing's house, the one in Ringling, Oklahoma, with a lot of farmland behind it and a shed next door where my granddad had his own space. I dreamt about the big trees that my brother and sister climbed, about the attic and the back porch where we ran around with my Uncle Michael and Uncle Damon. I haven't seen that house since childhood, and the bits of memories I have are wrapped up in my own heart and family photos and stories of how we played there but I can still smell the biscuits and bacon and fried eggs. I can still remember the way grandma told me not to sing at the table with a stern but loving glimmer in her eye. I dreamt that a friend of ours bought the house and remodeled it, repurposed it to fit their lifestyle today. They busted out walls and opened wide spaces wider. They invited me to see the newly remodeled space and when I entered, I walked through the house and wept. I wept for my father's mother a woman that I couldn't see anymore, a woman I hadn't seen for years before she died when I was in high school. I wept because I missed her presence, her spirit, which I had felt close to as a toddler when I'd run through her yard and kitchen and play with the long strands of pearls that were hanging on her vanity mirror. I wept because I knew that in reality the house burned down when I was in college and isn't there anymore. In reality, another house lives there, And the memories of my grandma and granddad are buried in the dirt where the groundhogs live in the pasture. I woke from the dream with tears in my eyes, and I couldn't let go of the memories. I spent the morning recalling, looking through that old house with my mind's eye, seeing the back porch full of lost nests and old furniture, the kitchen TV that played Wheel of Fortune religiously every evening, the side room with the giant freezer and an extra refrigerator to feed the whole family when they came to visit, the door that opened to the attic stairs, all the way up to that stuffy room where my siblings and cousins played school and read books and pretended to be ghosts. The front porch where the aloe plant stood in the corner and an old china, old china dishes sat in a hutch. Something about that place is embedded in who I am. From the tarantula that crawled across the back of my foot to the plants and kittens we played with in the backyard. 
Something from that place still invades my senses every now and then. Still reminds me that Grandma Downing is there, helping me shape all those years later. Her voice still brings me back to all of my ancestors, to indigenous roots that claim me even today. That house comes back to see me in a dream, and in its transformation, I remember that I am being constantly recreated and molded and formed, constantly sent back to find who I am after all these years and where the house will take me later in life. Wow. I love that one too. That's one of my favorite too, I think. Um, <laughs> well, uh, we are out of time, sadly. <laughs> this is so quick. Uh, but everybody, buy this book, Glory Happening, Finding the Divine in Everyday Places uh, by Caitlin Curtis. And if you want to book Caitlin to speak, go on her website. I'll put the, is it just Caitlin, CaitlinCurtis.com? Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's K-A-I-T-L-I-N, right? Yeah. Caitlin Curtis. I'll, I'll put that on the show notes as well, everybody. So just check out the show notes for um, to get the book. And also to read some of her, Caitlin's uh, posts this month during Native American Heritage Month, month where you can get links to, um, you know, buy some jewelry or find out some of the things that she talked about uh, before about getting into current Native American culture. Uh, And if you want to book Caitlin to speak, again, it'll all be on the show notes. So I encourage you to do all of those things, people. Uh, anything else, Caitlin, any last parting words? I don't think so. Thank you. Oh, it was so delightful. Uh, just like last time, maybe even more. Uh, I am one of your biggest cheerleaders, so I'm going to (laughs) be talking about this book for a long time. And, uh, thanks so much for your time, Caitlin. And I, my hope is just that this, um, will be a great, great gift to the world and even to your own soul somehow, even in the midst of the crazy. (laughs) 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 all right grace and peace everybody thanks so much for listening you can follow me on facebook at steve weens author twitter at steve weens and instagram at steve weens and you can find all my work all my books show notes all kinds of other fun stuff on my website steveweens.com and please consider supporting me on patreon Lots of fun benefits for all levels of patrons. Check it out at patreon.com slash this good word. The truth was you knew you were losing that fight in your suburban backyard.